When the huge transport planes arrive at RAF Bryce Norton, bringing dead servicemen and women back from Afghanistan, somewhere close by, there will always be a partner, a widow, a mother, a father, watching as each flag-draped coffin is carried slowly and with great dignity towards, towards a waiting hearse. No doubt, they are proud of what their loved ones have achieved, the sacrifice that they have made. But they also must surely be thinking about all those dreams that will never be fulfilled, all those opportunities that will never, ever be enjoyed. Years ago, remembrance services were different. When I was first in the ministry, I can remember so well at Purley, two men coming up the aisle on Remembrance Sunday, one elderly gentleman carrying a wreath, remembering those who fell in the First World War, and then a much more sprightly and younger man carrying a wreath for those who gave their lives in the second. Now, the old men have gone, and the younger men are not as young as they used to be. If we're not careful, it all fades into history. That's why it's so necessary to think about those flag-draped coffins returning from Afghanistan, because the terrifying truth is that the men and women whose bodies are inside are not old enough as they used to be to be our parents and grandparents. They're young enough now to be our children and our grandchildren. And isn't that a terrifying thought? Suddenly, remembrance assumed a much, assumes a much greater immediacy than ever it did. It's not yesterday's business any longer. It's very much today's. Well, anyone's death is a terrible loss. To lose a child, of course, is infinitely worse. How do we cope with the death of loved ones? How do Christians cope with the death of loved ones? In a post-Christian age, of course, people tend to cover their grief with sentimentality, like the father who, whose little boy says to him, Daddy, where's Nanny now? And he takes his little boy out into the starlit night and points up to a star and says, she's up there, looking down on you, making sure you're a good boy. Well, it's natural to find childish ways to answer children's questions, especially if we're asking them ourselves and we don't know the answer. I don't know what the thought of Nanny keeping an eye on him constantly will do to that child's security. But it's such a tragedy to spin yarns like that to children. To cover our misunderstanding with that kind of superstition. It shortchanges our children and ourselves because the Bible is quite clear with what is going to happen. 
And in our series on 1 Thessalonians, I want to concentrate this morning on what Paul says as he tries to sort out some of the confusion that believers in Thessalonica have about dead loved ones. Remembrance Sunday is a really good day to look at this passage. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 5, 11. I asked for the passage from John 15 to be read because it seems to me on Remembrance Sunday we have to hear that incredible verse whether or not it actually fits into the sermon, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. It says it all, doesn't it? But we're really concentrating this morning on 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 5, 3. What happens to our loved ones when they die? Well, now, straight away, we have to admit that that actually isn't the, the question that Paul was addressing in that passage. You see, <clears throat> in the early days of the church, they thought that the Lord Jesus would come back straight away. Straight away. And when the promise wasn't kept immediately and people in the Christian church began to die, older people, younger people perhaps too, they got worried. And they thought, well, Jesus is going to come back. We know he's going to come back. But our loved ones have died. So are they going to take part in this glorious event? Or what's going to happen to them? Are they, are they lost? Um, is special are special arrangements going to be made for them? What's going to happen? That was the question that Paul was really answering. All the same, this passage is the clearest and most detailed exposition of the way in which God is going to wind up history. And so it refers to us and our dead loved ones as well. Of course it does. And I want to show you two things. I want to show you first the reality of our hope in Christ, and second, the substance of our hope in Christ. First of all, the fact that we have a hope, and second, the substance of that hope. I go to more funerals than most people in the nature of things. And every funeral I take, my heart goes out to those people who, in the words of chapter 4, verse 13, grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Because you see, as Christian believers, we do have a hope. Again and again and again in the New Testament. And specifically, here in this passage before us, we're assured that the best is yet to be. However, some people at Thessalonica had a problem. And as I say, they were worried about those who died before the Lord actually came back. Now, we have two certainties. Two certainties. First of all, the assurance of heaven is based on one thing and one thing only, faith in the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. If someone has no faith, then they have no assurance. And that causes a real problem, doesn't it? For those of us who have loved ones in our family circle and those in our, of our friends who are unbelievers. I have two sons, as you know, 
One of them is, has a radiant Christian faith. The other one, his faith is in the deep freeze. It has been for a long time. It's there, but it's in the deep freeze. So if you've got concern about loved ones who don't share our Christian faith, I know exactly how you feel. And I am encouraged by the second certainty that we have. And that is, we know, because the Bible makes it absolutely clear in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God wants everyone to be saved and come to know the truth. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. It says that. You hang on to 1 Timothy 2.4. God wants everyone to be saved and come to know the truth. So how do we reconcile those two certainties? Well, I believe all we can do is exert every effort to bring people to faith in Christ by prayer and gentle persuasion. And prayer is the most important way of evangelism we can engage in. It really is. And then we must leave the rest to God. You see, badgering people is sometimes not a good idea. I love the story of C.T. Studd those of you who uh, are older will be familiar with the, the name C.T. Studd. He was a great cricketer, but he was a great missionary, a wonderful, wonderful missionary. He started the Heart of Africa mission, which turned into the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, one of the most powerful and effective and glorious missionary societies that's ever been founded, a wonderful, wonderful tool in the building, building of the kingdom of God. But C.T. Studd's dad was converted. He became a Christian when C.T. and his brothers were teenagers. And he was determined that his sons would become Christians too. And so at every possible opportunity, he used to grab them and badger them. So much so that when they heard their father walking along the corridor, coming around. They used to run and hide. Now, C.T. Studd, as I say, did indeed become a Christian. You know how he became a Christian? It's incredible. There was a young man whom his father had invited along to be with his sons because he thought he might be a good influence. Yet another influence. <laughs> and the boys... They were, they were toe rags, they really were. And they played a dreadful practical joke against this young man. It was awful. And you know the way that the young man reacted with gentleness and acceptance and forgiveness impressed itself so much on those boys, so much on C.T. Studd himself, that he suddenly realized that young man had something, had a quality of life that he'd got to have for himself. And it was that that led him to Christ. The wonderful thing about these cards here, I love these cards, I really do. There's someone who's got her head in a tree. There's someone who's got his head in a dustbin. And there's someone else... I think, who's looking under a bed. Yes, that's right. Now, 
when you want to invite someone to the Alpha course, you don't actually need to say, uh, <coughs> excuse me, have you heard of the Alpha course? It's a very good course, etc., uh, etc., etc. Et All you need to do is to bring out one of these cards and say, look at that. And they can't fail to be fascinated by a picture of someone with their head in a dustbin or their head in a tree. And on the back are all the details that they need to know. Now, of course, they may just cast this aside, in which case somebody else might pick it up and look at it. But that doesn't matter. Gently, 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 you can say, look at this. Because gentleness and prayer, prayer, are some of the most important ways of evangelism. And if it doesn't work, well, try, try again. And if in the end you feel discouraged, let me give you a hymn from yesteryear, one of my collection. I'm going to write a book one of these days. And they're all going to be in there. Oh, trust thyself to Jesus. When thou art full of care for loved ones, still refusing our blessed hope to share, then is the time for trusting thy Lord to bring them nigh. Then is the time for singing. He loves them more than I. And he does. He loves your unconverted loved ones more than you do. Did you know that? infinitely more than you do. And 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says, God wants everyone to be saved and come to know the truth. Now, isn't that an incentive for prayer? If God wants it to happen, it will happen. So make it happen by going on praying for them. And don't be discouraged. Never say he's not a Christian or she's not a Christian. Say she's not a Christian yet. It's a wonderful word. Yet. Okay. That's the fact that we have hope in Christ. What is the substance of our hope? It is thought, so the scientists tell me, that it is impossible to travel faster than light. It's all got to do with the theory of relativity, about which I know very little. But I do know that if it were possible to travel faster than light, time travel would be possible as well, as the limerick explains. A mathematician called Bright once travelled faster than light. He took off one day in a relative way and arrived the previous night. <laughs> Well, for our purposes, time travel is not possible. But all the same, time has a kind of elasticity, elasticity, doesn't it? I mean, when you're having a, a, a quiet evening with your girlfriend, or you're playing golf, or you're watching Midsummer Murders, or something like that, it's what the time just zips by when you're listening to a boring sermon. It drags like crazy. Well, the key to understand what Paul is saying here in this passage is that time and eternity are different. It's a bit like someone diving into a swimming pool. Once you leave one element, 
you enter another. Once you leave time, you enter into eternity. And according to the Lord's own word, says Paul in verse 15, those who are still alive, who are around when Jesus returns, won't go before, precede, in other words, those who have died. An event will take place which everyone will see. No one will be able to ignore. Heralded by the trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel, the returning Christ will draw history to a conclusion. Those who belong to him by faith, both those who have died and those who are still alive, will be swept up with him, never to be parted. As verse 17 says, we will be with the Lord forever. Now, it would have been great if Paul had given us further details. For instance, what had happened to all those loved ones who died, who will rise when Christ returns. But I think we can infer something very, very significant. When, time come, when Jesus comes back, time will be swallowed up in eternity, and, and literally there will be no more time. Just as time ends for a human being when they die, so at Christ's return, he will gather up all things and bring them to a conclusion. I've told you, haven't I, how I didn't really used to enjoy playing rugby. I used to play rugby. It's one of the great sacrifices I made because I like being clean, you see. And when you play rugby, not only do you collide with various big, huge, rather horrible people, but you get very, very dirty. And you have to throw yourself around like a sort of rag doll. And it's not, anyway, the thing that I really enjoyed was that last whistle. Three peeps on the whistle. One, two, three. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm being honest. Well, there will be a conclusion to history. When Christ returns, Time will be swallowed up in eternity, and there will be no more time. Just as time ends for a human being when they die, so at his return, he will gather all things and bring them to a conclusion. If we're alive at that moment, we will be taken from time into eternity. If we have died before it take, takes place, we will already have been taken from time into eternity. And the next moment after we die, will be the moment of Christ's return. Now, there are some Christians who would disagree with me on that interpretation, and they're free to do so. But that, it seems to me, is what the Bible is saying. Christ is going to return. If we're alive, when he returns, we will be caught up with him to meet the Lord in the air, with the risen dead to meet the Lord in the air. If we have died before Christ returns, the next moment we will experience won't be in time, because time will have finished for us. We will enter eternity, and the next moment we will experience will be the coming of the Lord. It's almost as if we will be fast-forwarded to that moment of glorious anticipation. And when is it going to happen? Well, verse 
1 of chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that that day will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So we have no, no excuse for dissipation and excess, and we have no excuse for discouragement either. We know that that promise will be kept. Well, we must leave it there. Next week, our mission speakers um, will be with us, but then I hope to pick it up again on November the 25th.